Today, this is John Murphy. Welcome to this podcast. Dr. Eric Schmuck. Dr. Schmuck is with the Stem Cell Regenerative Medicine Center, University of Wisconsin Madison. This podcast is coming to you by Zoom Audio, and we're doing this in conjunction with the Journal of Inflammation and Regenerative Medicine. Dr. Schmuck, welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. So, can you tell us a little bit about your research? My research has primarily been focused on cardioregenerative medicine, uh, specifically utilizing stem cells and biomaterials for regenerating the damaged heart. In terms of this particular interest area, what's the state of the art? So state of the art in cardioregenerative medicine has been evolving quite rapidly over the last couple of decades. Very early on in the field, there was a a large excitement around bone marrow-derived cells. Kind of the very first hints that we might be able to regenerate the heart with stem cells came in the early 2000s from studies that were done in mice and rats and then quickly followed up in humans. And, And they showed some ability of bone marrow cells to regenerate the heart. And that was really very an interesting and exciting finding at that time. What ultimately ended up happening, though, is that we found that most of those studies been negative. There have been many, many clinical trials. I think if you do the search, there's been close to 200 clinical trials utilizing stem cells in the heart. And the large majority of those have either been inconclusive, weakly positive or negative. And so we've been working very hard towards getting over the hump. How do we take this technology, these different stem cells, how do we get them into the heart? How do we make them so that they can actually do something good? How can they actually regenerate the heart? And so that's where our research has been focused on, and it's really been an interesting time to be in that area because we've really moved past a lot of the adult stem cells. I like to refer to them as the 1.0 cells, so the bone marrow cells, the mesenchymal stem cells, adipose-derived stem cells. The field is really starting to move past a lot of those 1.0 cells and now moving into what I call the 2.0 cells. So these are the IPS-derived cells, so IPS cardiomyocytes, IPS-derived cardiac progenitor cells, things like that, where these cells truly have the ability to differentiate into a a cardiomyocyte and actually regenerate or remuscularize the heart, which is really the ultimate goal is to get more muscle or to replace the muscle that has been lost in the heart to make the pump more effective and efficient. So that's kind of the nutshell state-of-the-art where we're at. So you mentioned the early studies. I think it was pretty well defined that the stem cells don't stay in the heart. So how do they help the heart if they don't stay there? It's been pretty well shown that we inject stem cells into the heart. Within 24 hours, there's maybe 5% of the cells that are left in the heart. And that's if you use an intracoronary method where you infuse it down in one of the vessels, if you use an intravenous, you know, using the veins. Or if you do direct intramuscular injections, either through the epicardium or the surface of the heart, or if you use a catheter-based and do an endocardial injection through the inside of the heart. And, you know, what we've learned is is that the heart is a tricky organ to try to regenerate. And the number one thing is it's always beating and we can't stop it from beating for very long. It's not really compatible with life. And so we have to overcome the fact that this heart is beating and as it beats, it squishes out all of the cells that you put into the heart. So there's very little time for cells to actually tether and attach 
and get into the heart and actually make it where they can be retained. And then secondly, a lot of times when you're working in the heart, the heart has lost cells for a reason. You know, there's an ischemic area. So an area that doesn't have any oxygens where a vessel has been blocked off. And so, you know, it's not a real hospitable place to try to put cells in the first place. So you've got issues with inflammation and ischemia in the areas that you're trying to regenerate. And then finally, our stem cells are very finicky and they like to feel very specific attachment points. And if they don't feel the right attachment points where they feel like I should be adhering here, then they actually go through a process of anoikis. And anoikis is really programmed cell death due to improper integrin engagement. And integrins are basically like little handholds or tethers that these cells use to grab on to the extracellular matrix. So getting cells to stay in the heart has been a big problem. It's been an issue and I think it was really one of the underappreciated issues until more recently when we've been starting to utilize different biomaterials and different strategies to try to get the heart to accept cells and have cells be retained and grow in the heart, basically. So I also noticed as you're doing some work with tissue engineering, how's that fit into your plan? It's kind of easiest to go all the way to the beginning <laughs> to talk about that. So back in the 2000s, I was a graduate student at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and I was working with a gentleman, his name is Kurt Sapi. He was my PhD thesis advisor. And Kurt's lab had just begun to focus on stem cells and stem cell therapies for the heart. And a lot of that was in part due to Piero Anvers' work at that time, which was really new and exciting and ultimately been retracted. But uh, <laughs> it was very exciting for us to see that, hey, all these different stem cell types that would be put into the heart and there was a way to actually fix the heart maybe with these different types of stem cells that he was showing, these C-kit cells and whatnot. And so Kurt ultimately came down with a, or was diagnosed with a, a terminal lymphoma. And so one of the things that ended up happening was during his process, he actually ended up having stem cell therapies and undergoing radiation. And he was very sick for quite a period of time. And I had published a couple of papers in his lab and, and ultimately... I met with him one day, we were actually sitting in his living room at his house because he couldn't come into the lab. And he, he said, you know, for your last project, find something you want to do and do it. And for me, that was, you know, a blank check, basically. You know, I didn't have to focus on what he was interested in to that point, And I could focus on what I was interested in. And ultimately, what I decided to do was look at how could we affect stem cell differentiation utilizing different extracellular matrices. And it seemed obvious to me if we could make a matrix that was very similar to what the heart was, maybe we could get stem cells at that point, which are basically bone marrow stem cells to differentiate into cardiomyocytes. And so I was following some very early work by a gentleman out of, I believe, Texas, um, Barry Van Winkle. And he had basically used cardiac fibroblasts, which are the cell type in the heart that creates extracellular matrix. And it maintains the extracellular matrix. He'd used those to culture and they secreted a small amount of extracellular matrix onto a cover slip. It really kind of looked like threads of ECM on a cover slip. And so I thought to myself, well, can we make enough of this that we could actually use it to grow stem cells on and see if they differentiate into cardiomyocytes? And so I developed some techniques and worked on it for a while and spent a few months. And I was sitting at the microscope and I'd, I'd gotten to the point where I could actually make a lot of extracellular matrix. And I was sitting at the scope and... My issue was, is not that we couldn't make a lot of extracellular matrix. The problem was, is I'd sit there and I'd decellularize it to get rid of all the cellular material and there'd just be the extracellular matrix left behind. 
and as I'd watch it under the scope and all these cells are bursting and blowing up and whatnot, all of a sudden the ECM would lift off the plate and just kind of float around. You know, it kind of looked like a little circular band-aid they might put on after a shot, something like that. And so I was very frustrated for a period of time. <laughs> and, and I ultimately had that aha moment where I said, wait a minute, this is pure extracellular matrix. And it seems like it has some interesting properties. So let's take that and see if we might be able to solve some of these retention problems by seeding cells onto this and then slapping it onto the surface of the heart. And ultimately that seemed to work. So the material itself is high in a protein called fibronectin. Fibronectin is really unique in the fact that it binds with almost everything. It has what's called RGD binding domains and cells like to bind to RGD binding domains and proteins and even exosomes and some nucleic acids will bind to these binding points. And so we ultimately ended up taking it and saying, well, can we take stem cells, seed them on here and slap them on the surface of the heart? And will that help maintain or increase the retention of these cells in the heart? And we found that absolutely. We could deliver a lot of cells into the heart with this material rapidly and they'd be maintained there. They seem to be protected from ischemia and inflammation somehow. And we weren't really aware at that point how it was happening, but they did seem to be maintained and seem to be relatively happy and healthy. And they would migrate from the scaffold or this ECM material into the wall of the heart. So that's ultimately what I've been focusing on for the last 10 years or more now is, is how can we take this type of technology and how can we move it forward and maybe get that into patients as really a co-therapeutic and transfer some of these stem cells that are out there and kind of move some of these therapies forward. So how are you moving them forward? I understand you started a commercial enterprise. So kind of backing up a little bit again. So after I graduated in 2011, I moved over within the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I moved over and started working with a cardiologist, an interventional cardiologist by the name of Amish Ravel. And so Amish has been one of the leaders in stem cell therapies for the heart. He's been the IND holder for several clinical trials. He's been the PI for, I think, close to 12 or 13 clinical trials for stem cell therapies in the heart. So Amish is an interventionalist. That means he uses catheters. So, you know, minimally invasive procedures to deliver stem cells into the heart. And so when I started working with Amish, he said, I'm really interested in what you're working on, but I'd really like to be able to take it and make it into an injectable therapeutic. He rightly identified the fact that the number of open chest procedures is going down. The patients that are candidates for a lot of these therapies are usually very sick. They might not be able to tolerate an open chest procedure. So we needed to be able to take this type of technology and say, well, can we inject it? And so I like to say, I'm kind of an Occam's razor guy. I'm, I'm very much the simplest solution is probably the right solution. And so I thought to myself, how can we basically take this sheet of material and make it into something that we could actually inject and ultimately what I decided to do was basically grind it up into small little particles. Once I had that new formulation, which is really just a particulate suspension of the original ECM, we looked at it and said, wow, you know, cells bind into it, even in suspension, we can show that cells are maintained and retained in the heart for a long period of time, even when we injected in this suspension of particles. So what's the fastest way to really get that into patients? And the answer was, is it's not going to happen that quickly at a university. Universities just are not really cut out to be drivers of clinical trials like that. And so we said, we need to take this forward in the most rapid 
way possible, we need to start a company around it. And so that's ultimately what we did in 2016 is we started a company called Cellular Logistics. The whole focus of the company is taking this extracellular matrix material and partnering it with therapeutic cells, primarily focusing on major companies out there that have therapeutic cell populations and taking their cells, linking it with our extracellular matrix prep and injecting them into the hearts, but taking it through that pathway to hopefully get it into the clinic, you know, as quickly as possible and make some of these promising cell types a therapeutic reality. What's the projected time to have this become reality? You know, there's always a great deal of work that goes into this. It's not just one trial and then you put it in the humans. There's usually a progression of safety and efficacy studies and, you know, doing studies for toxicology and biocompatibility and all those sort of things. So, you know, our best projection is if everything goes really well, we could probably have what's called an investigational new drug exemption, you know, hopefully in the next two to three years, in which case we could start clinical trials with it and putting it into people. So Dr. Schmuck, you mentioned 2.0, 1.0 cells. Give us a little more background in terms of that different classification. It's kind of my own nomenclature that I've come up with over the years to describe really kind of the state of the field. So early on, we utilized adult stem cells being, you know, mesenchymal stem cells, bone marrow aspirates, adipose-derived stem cells, things like that. And those cells really had a very limited capacity to transdifferentiate into cardiomyocytes. So, you know, most of those cells, it's pretty well accepted. Either very few of those can actually turn into a, a cardiomyocyte or if any of them can. So I really term those the 1.0 cells. The 2.0 cells are really what's coming online right now. And a lot of these are the IPS derived. So the induced pluripotent stem cell derived cell types. So these are cardiac progenitor cells or they're IPS derived cardiomyocytes. So cells that truly have the ability to differentiate into or, or maintain their cardiac lineage and remuscularize the heart. Because ultimately with stem cell therapies, you know, the goal is to take that muscle that was lost and rebuild it. And so we need cell types that can take some of those scarred areas and repopulate it with muscle to make the heart pump more effectively and more efficiently. So if we were having this discussion five years from now, what do you think the state of the art would be? I think ultimately the state of the art is going to be a combination product. Well, actually, I think there's going to be a double track, actually. So I think you're going to have the remuscularizing therapies, which are going to be an IPS-derived type cell, and in combination with a biomaterial, hopefully our biomaterial. (laughs) But you need something that solves this retention issue, because regardless of if the cells are cardiac in nature, they're still not being maintained in this active pumping heart when they're injected. So we need to solve that problem alongside the cell type problem. And then I think there's also another track then, and this is something that we've been working on over the last couple of years in what we like to call the cardioimmunotherapy realm. We're starting to understand how the heart heals itself. And that at the moment, you know, there seems to be very defined patterns of immune activation and deactivation. And if we can manipulate some of those patterns, we might be able to actually limit the amount of damage. Because following a heart attack or an infarction, what happens is is you get an area of ischemia that results in a very dead area. But then 
over the next weeks to months, you actually get what's called infarct expansion, where the area immediately around that ischemic area actually will potentially die off. And so if we have ways to rescue that area at risk, then I think we could potentially save a lot of muscle and hopefully prevent people from actually going into heart failure by maintaining some of that muscle. So what we've been focusing on, a lot of our efforts in the lab have been in the macrophage monocyte area. So there's been a lot of evidence looking at what's called M1, M2 macrophage phenotypes, and M1s are considered to be inflammatory and they cause a lot of damage in the heart or actually in all tissues, but in the heart specifically, there's another population that, that crops up. It's called an M2 population. And so the M2 macrophages are actually regenerative and they cause more of a, a healing pattern to happen and they cause angiogenesis and they reduce inflammation. So, so what we've been looking at is as part of the 2.0 cells, you might think of them as 1.5s or 2.5s or something like that as more of a therapy that could limit the amount of damage by injecting these pro-regenerative anti-inflammatory type cells early on in the disease progression following an infarct. And it might result in saving a lot of muscle naturally, basically. Dr. Schmuck, thank you for joining us today and sharing with us your pioneering research and your vision for the future. We wish you success in you and your colleagues as you proceed down this important pathway. Thanks to the McGowan Institute for Genetic Medicine for sponsoring this podcast series. Till we meet again, thank you for listening.